Welcome back to another episode of Sustainalytics Sustainable Finance Solutions Podcast, a monthly roundup of the latest transactions and developments in the sustainable finance space globally. In each episode, we take you through some of the latest news that caught our eye, noteworthy transactions that has hit the market, and cap off with discussing regulatory updates. This 20-minute roundup is the curated shortlist for a download on what's happening in the sustainable finance space globally, and it may just spark some ideas for future deals and transactions. This episode is for the month of February, and it's hosted by Cheryl and Nick, who run the Sustainable Finance Solutions team in Asia-Pacific. Great. Thanks. Uh, welcome to everyone. And hi, Cheryl. Just in addition to the uh, the welcome, just a couple of reminders from our listeners. Please remember that we're now eligible for the MAS grant scheme for green social sustainability bonds and also linked um, instruments where that work's done in Singapore. We're pretty happy that we've won a few recent awards, particularly from the asset. Um, and if you haven't had a chance to, please check out our standalone podcast, which covered the outlook for 2021 and also covered a recent report that Sustainalytics produced, which is the 10 for 2021, investing in the circular food economy. So check out uh, those things and just a couple of reminders. Also, just to communicate, I think we mentioned uh, on the last podcast that we're also been pretty happy and, and reflects how busy we've been actually with the Environmental Finance 2020 um, summary of the green social and sustainability bond markets. We still have a um, share for second party opinions of around 36% and a little bit higher for CBI certifications globally. So thanks to all our banking partners and customers that have worked with us, and we look forward to hopefully continuing to increase that and grow with the market going forward. So Cheryl, lots of headlines over the month. What jumped out to you in particular? That's right. Starting with some of the forecasts in terms of issuance volumes for 2021, Moody's forecast about $375 billion of green bonds, $150 billion of social bonds, and $125 billion of sustainability bonds. So sustainable bonds could represent about 8 to 10% of the total global bond issuance, and they possibly expect to hit another new high of $650 billion in 2021, which is a 32% over the $429 billion issued in 2020. Nasdaq similarly had a report on 2021 will be the year of sustainability-linked bonds, uh, says Marilyn Sessi, um, their global head of ESG capital markets at JP Morgan. They think it's going to be a really fastest-growing sustainable instrument that they have seen. And looking forward, they expect that to really grow by uh, 49%, the sustainable finance market, which is an upward revision of the estimate of 30% they made back in uh, October. And continuing from the SLB theme, uh, Cheryl, what we've seen and an article that jumped out to me actually was on the combination structures going forward. And we've actually started to see those since we planned the podcast a week or two ago, we saw uh, Verbund and others come to market with the SLB structure and also an underlying green structure. So I think as, as part of what you've um, just highlighted there, Cheryl, there's going to be a lot of innovation around SLBs and more and more some interesting combinations connected to uh, to green bonds as well. So I guess for all of our listeners, watch this space for sure. And anything else, Cheryl, that grabbed your attention over the month? Yes, that's right. In line with, you know, the the explosion of SLBs, there is also negative commentary about, you know, investors raising the concern that they are seeing a lack of ambition in some of these environmental goals. And some of the investors are willing to turn a blind eye, which may threaten and undermine the credibility of the sustainability linked debt market. So some of the fear some of these uh, market participants have raised is that these uh, companies are using relatively easy targets embedded in their SLBs, minimizing the risks of a financial penalty down the line. And because investors Investors are so hungry for ESG assets, they let them do that. So, you know, I think Resnick um, has made a very good comment about this. You know, it, there is always a risk of some exploitation in fast-growing 
markets. But as these thematic markets tend to find their sea lakes, they tend to consolidate around credibility. So, you know, a lot of things that we do, as well as good organizations like the nonprofit science-based target initiative, getting independent verification from assessors like us can give comfort over the level of the company's targets. So it gives you more clout on these goals if, you know, maybe uh, some of these targets are tied to the executive's long-term incentive plans. Okay. And something else that grabbed my attention over the month was um, something that we've spoken about briefly on the podcast a few times. And it's just a really recurring theme is the biodiversity or the impact on biodiversity that um, some economic activities have and the importance of not just focusing on decarbonisation, which is really important, but also the impacts direct and indirect that companies have uh, on biodiversity. We know that agriculture is you know, a really key sector. It's a big employer in many markets. We know that if we don't look after you know, wildlife and some species such as bees, they can't pollinate agriculture and can't, we can't produce food. And it relates to then social issues and food security. So this whole issue of biodiversity and the impacts of companies on that is becoming really, really important. There's a lot more detail around it. For those who are particularly interested in what I'm saying, I haven't read all of this, but a Professor Dasgupta in the UK a couple of months back now before recording of this podcast released, I think it's about a 600 pager going through all the links between biodiversity and nature and, and to companies. And there's going to be a real push like science-based targets, a lot of reference points around decarbonisation, we're going to start to see the market evolve to have more reference points. How do you report that? What are the standards? What's disclosure that required? How do you rate a company on how well they're treating um, biodiversity directly or indirectly? So this whole sort of concept of beyond net zero, I think we're going to see some different types of concepts be solidified related to biodiversity and and disclosures or nature-based disclosures, shall we say. So um, check out that report, but it might take you a little while to get through all of that. What else caught your eye, Nick? Yeah, so um, again, a big, uh, big month of all sorts of things. This whole issue of you know harmonisation of different standards. You've got GRI, you've got SASB, um, now part of uh, integrated reporting. So the differences in how companies can report. There's lots of frameworks. It's it's that alphabet soup of of acronyms, but some really important frameworks. And we hope that there's still uh, ongoing good debate around that. They don't all need to be the same, but I think it's important that the market knows how to use these things, how they complement each other. And the more that they connect to each other or that guidance can be given in that regard, I think that'll be really positive for sustainable finance um, and for corporates. The other thing just to note is that the European Commission came out with the long-awaited SFDR, which is really related to funds and how and what they disclose and advisory from investment managers to investors. Um, Sustainalytics does have some solutions for that, and there were some recent webinars and and podcasts in relation to to that. So check that out. Not directly relevant to us here in the sustainable bond loan sort of sustainable finance world, but do check those out if you're a fund and you have these new EU regulations coming out. And I think what it will mean is that rather than some um, funds saying that they're integrating ESG, this will be more about what you're disclosing, what you're showing, much more specific which hopefully drives more pressure on companies, which hopefully drives more disclosure, which should then mean for all of us, we can detect these themes, we can see what disclosures are being made on underlying projects and assets and changes, and then connect more sustainable finance transactions too. So that was um, something I noted over the month. The other thing I saw, I guess we can sort of call it, let's call it the, the mini soap opera of the oil majors, what's happening in the US, what's happening in Europe. I don't say that lightly, because there are challenging issues. You can't just you know, stop using oil and, and start using a whole 
you know, complete green energy system tomorrow. There is a period of transition. But we just encourage our listeners to stay on the lookout for those developments. Some oil companies really working hard to diversify their business. Some maybe not so hard. Let's see how the market judges those. And also just look out for, I think, in particular, Total came out a few weeks ago and said going forward, all of their bonds would be structured on a sustainability link bond basis. So I think that's going to open up a whole raft of new potential issuance connected to sustainable finance for the companies with robust strategies. Not an easy one, less market reference points for oil and gas, but a very important um, segment of the market to try and uh, work with um, and engage. So continue to keep your eyes open for, uh, for that. Moving on from corporates to sovereigns, loads more news on countries and their commitments and various activity there. So, you know, we see a lot more countries. The judgment is, is for you to decide if, you know, some of them are as ambitious as what they have uh, committed to, to do. So over in Asia, we have Singapore announcing their Singapore Green Plan for 2020 during the 2021 budget exercise. Some of the initiatives they talked about include scaling EV infrastructure, reducing footprint of their buildings, and what was actually quite jarringly absent was the lack of a commitment to net zero. Um, ING has done a very good piece uh, deconstructing this Singapore Green Plan 2030, so do check that out in the show notes. Over in a neighboring Hong Kong, there was also similarly criticism from you know, non-profit organizations doing some assessments on what countries are doing, and Hong Kong scored a C grade in this new Paris Watch climate report. So it's slightly an improvement from previous year's C-, minus, but the experts also note that much more can be done to the city's recent pledge to go net zero by 2050, and they saw that there's much much more substantial climate action that needs to be taken place apart from this pledge. Over in China, so we see, you know, China had some grand climate ambitions plan where they commit to become net zero by 2060. Some of the preliminary study to date shows that there's still a lot of work to be done. Maybe perhaps this year, you know, there was a lot of political ambitions and that has, you know, kind of stalled progress. But, you know, President Xi Jinping had this goal of reaching carbon neutrality by 2060 and PBOC estimates is about USD 600 billion a year is needed for this overall green economic transition. Uh, but more recent numbers from Tsinghua University suggest that you actually need 650 to 900 billion a year from today to 2050 to make this uh, switch. So uh, at the moment, you know, the Chinese financial system is a little bit off that target. I guess the takeaway is that it's good to see that, you know, NGOs and experts weighing in uh, on these targets that may be quite nice and flashy when announced, but we need to follow closely on them. Just a couple of other things to, to round off over the month. There was an updated, I'm not sure if anyone um, has noted this. It was it was a smaller sort of update, but if anyone does want to check it out, please do the APLMA or LSTA on the green loan uh, side of things um, published a little bit of an updated document on the green loan principles and guidance. Very small changes, mainly related to social or do no significant harm to social dimension. So pretty small changes, but nonetheless, check those out. I did note that ICMA actually released over the month a sustainability link bond principles related questions. That's a bit of a mouthful, but check those out. There's a good um, eight to 10 pages of some really good common questions in that as additional guidance. We also note that um, the CBI has come out with more trajectories for commercial properties in different cities across Europe. And as we know, there's different ways to seek low carbon building certification under CBI. And one way is to have a specific calculator, which they've developed on CO2 emissions per uh, equivalent per uh, meter squared for property. So check those out. The ever-awaited sector criteria on hydro actually just released 
Uh, actually, in March, I know we're focusing on uh, on February here, but as we have uh, recorded this podcast, actually in recent days, that's come to market. And just a reminder to everyone that CBI did recently announce and publish the updated desalination component to their water uh, criteria and guidelines. So definitely check those out. I think what we see in the market is all obviously green buildings, really important to have increasing reference points. And then things like hydro and also desalination are becoming increasing trends. So great to have these additional tools. All right, that's it for this month's news roundup. Let's move on now to sustainable finance transactions that caught our eye. Nick, any notable green bonds to flag? Thanks, Cheryl. And as we always say um, in recent uh, podcasts, the smorgasbord has has continued. Um, it's like being at a hotel or the um, or the omelet line at a hotel. The the variety of things that are happening and the the line of of companies doing things continues to grow. So as we flagged on the the podcast last time, because that smorgasbord and that list and that activity of transactions actually becoming too big to to summarize well. Uh, we're just going to focus on a couple of deals um, and just highlight a few things in there. So do check out the show notes for a couple of other a uh, couple of other links, uh, but we'll just focus on a couple of deals in particular over the month. In general terms, we continue to see property transaction again a mainstay um, in the market. We saw a lot of renewables across Europe and across other jurisdictions. Uh, we saw a couple of interesting ones with companies like LG Chem just on batteries for, for EVs go to market um, for the second time round. A bunch of banks went to market and we like to see that. And I think I've mentioned before on the podcast, um, if folks are looking there and want to spark some new ideas for what they might want to finance, check out some of the bank frameworks because they're normally quite broad. We saw some activity in Taiwan. Uh, we saw some activity in Europe. We saw some um, activity in the US. So banks are really important to keep supporting the market and doing the funding in their own right. A couple of things on auto and trains. But what I really wanted to, to highlight was a couple of deals. Some trend that we're really seeing is on the IT space going forward. So last year, we saw Google. To some extent, we saw Visa, some of the other credit card companies going to market as well. And we worked on uh, with Alibaba which hopefully some people know, it's kind of like a Chinese version of, of Amazon and a couple of different parts of that business. So very much an IT company and platform for selling of goods and, uh, and services. And we worked with that issuer, went to market. And there's some interesting things that were financed around connected to, to COVID, connected to some IT infrastructure for the government around how to track and, and measure that, connected to some, um, some recycling of goods, um, renewables. So some quite... In- innovative and interesting things um, connected to Alibaba. But I guess the message from us is it really demonstrates that ongoing diversity happening in the market. And, you know, probably two years ago, we wouldn't have thought of IT companies coming to to market. Maybe it was only on their servers or their data centers. Now there's a whole range of things that is green or sustainable that they can connect to. So that was an interesting one. Um, And then also another one that was done SCSK, I always get the tricky acronyms here, which is an IT firm based in Japan that we worked on um, and some interesting things there related to energy efficiency. Again, IT, um, there's some standard things around renewables. There's some standard things around data centers, which are good to to focus on. It may be infrastructure or IT used for social uh, means or other, uh, or other things. So there's definitely some interesting aspects of of IT companies and maybe what they enable going forward will be the next wave that we see there. The other uh, ones, just a couple of others to mention, um, check out. So leasing companies continue to come to market. So there was an interesting deal, Trinity Industries in the US. We worked on that one. So check that out. Also, Altec. 
um, for chemicals. So we saw a couple of chemical companies, um, Bayer and others, come to market last year. And that's a growing area, again, shows the diversification, IT companies. We've talked about many other sectors. Um, so check, check that one out for the green activities they have. And an interesting one, a little bit more on the social, I guess, the social side, this one, but for a expressway in Japan. Um, so I'll let our listeners sort of make up their own mind about the robustness of some of these, but do do check that out. And maybe the message from that is for some use of proceeds types, they can be considered green or social. Sometimes if it's more connecting an underserved area, something like an expressway with a solid argument may be more something on the social rather than green in its own right. Um, expressways, there may be a few things that are green in terms of renewable energy for kiosks, for you know tickets, maybe some bike lanes, maybe some renewable energy, maybe some buildings, you know, different types of things that can sort of be cherry picked for those type of companies. And again, on the social side, like desalination, potentially can be green depending on how it's powered, potentially can be social. So uh, that's maybe just the, the interesting element there. And Cheryl on on green loans, so that's a couple of highlights there. Did anything jump out to you on the on the loan side? So no special green loans particularly that uh, jumped out this month. Still from nominally renewables or real estate, so maybe just to flag one of each. So Heinz is a German uh, real estate firm. They secured a green loan with IMG for their Heinz Pen European Core Fund. Uh, the loan will go towards financing a prime office building in Frankfurt, as well as an international uh, handling company, company uh, near the cargo area in Heathrow. So both assets display better than average energy performance levels, as well as their sustainability certificates, such as DGNB, as well as BRIAM. So I guess it's interesting because we see more dedicated funds whose investment strategy is clearly focused on making responsible and sustainable investments. Um, and with this green loan, say with, from the bank, they get to deliver on that uh, investors ambitious of growing their portfolio uh, of future-proofed assets where the value and the returns are aligned with environmental performance. Moving on to renewables, so there was a JV between Total and EDF Renewables in India to construct a 450 megawatt power uh, powered solar project in India. So this was interesting because we see French oil giant Total totally diversifying into renewables with JV partners regionally with their most recent commitment that Nick mentioned that all their future lending will be in SLB format. So Total's transformation strategy is one of the most advanced one compared to their peers. They are viewed to be one of the front runners among the oil majors to move from a traditional oil and gas producer to a diversified energy company so very interesting to see yeah so i think this now is a good segue to this month's listener questions nick maybe it, let's just ask this question from a listener in thailand because we see we're seeing quite a number of blue bonds and blue loans you know with thai union sustainability link loan as well as indorama's blue bond could you share with us a little bit what is a blue bond yeah thanks for the listener that, that raised that question so i think blue bond essentially it's the same as a it's a use of proceed instrument. It's basically the same as a green bond or a green loan. The difference is that for blue, it's connected to maritime projects. So it might be something around ocean biodiversity. It may be something around aspects of, of maritime. There's a few different principles and references in the market. We have signed off on those instruments before. Countries such as Seychelles have issued small bonds, effectively green, but focusing on the maritime um, sector and we know that the ocean is increasingly important as a sequester of CO2 emissions and also biodiversity really important for our food value chains as well. So blue bonds expect more to uh, to come. All right, second question: What are the best resources on transition to read? 
uh, one of my favorite topics, Cheryl. I'll, I'll sound like a bit of a nerd when I rattle all these off, but look, transition is just fascinating to dig into and, and just a couple of reference points. Uh, the climate finance um, handbook from ICMA is a really good one, more on what we would call issuer level strategy or considerations. So check that out. The white paper and subsequent webinars that Climate Bonds Initiative has have come out with and ongoing webinars, definitely an excellent resource. Check out our website at sustainalytics.com. There is a section on transition instruments and a little bit of commentary and some FAQs. So uh, check that out. Um, and then the other really solid industry references would be Transition Pathway Initiative, the International Energy Agency, and also SBTI. So particularly on the last three, the IEA almost has research coming out on a daily basis. So check that out. Transition Pathway Initiative have some great webinars and continue to add sectors to their trajectories and and, um, have some really good reference points for companies looking at transition. Diversified Mining was a recent one added to that. And SBTI, you know, excellent resources, excellent webinars, lots of that available on, on YouTube. And just a few days ago before recording this podcast, Again, another innovation from SBTI, or I should say development around maritime sector and shipping and some public consultation around uh, around shipping. So they're my, uh, they're my favorites, Cheryl, and keep me busy trying to look at those and remember all the great uh, all the great content within that. All right, simply moving on to SLBs. Any notable uh, SLBs to your eye? Yeah, so SLBs, again, continue to grow. And just a reminder, we'll put it in a link to this um, in the show notes. Sustainalytics does have a what we call a product backgrounder into how we rate sustainability link bonds in terms of ambition of the targets and also the relevance, applicability, et cetera, of the, of the KPIs. Um, so check out the link in the show notes for that one. Over the month, Sustainalytics worked with H&M around you know, supply chains and emissions and, and those type of things. So check out that one. Again, like Chanel, this whole area of fashion, you know, textiles issues connected to that, um, really important from a sustainability um, perspective. Just another one to highlight was a company called Costellium, which is a company in the US connected to aluminium, not as a producing aluminium company, but in terms of fabrication, rolling, cutting of aluminium and those type of things. And just a reminder, if a company doesn't produce aluminium, if they're using recycled aluminium, and they're not the key producer, potentially that can be green. If you're a company producing aluminium because that is a high carbon intensive industry, that's probably going to fall under more of a transition lens as far as we're concerned. But we know that many different types of industries can connect their sustainability initiatives to the SLB format, which is general corporate purpose. In this case, focusing on some emissions from their profile, again, not as high as, as someone who's actually manufacturing, but we know that carbon reduction and decarbonisation is a key element to many companies. A slight different take on that too, non-investment grade. So again, good to see diversification, diversification, diversification of the market, whether that's product, whether that's geography, whether that's credit um, standing and and other uh, things. So that'd be the the couple of highlights for sustainability link bonds at the moment. And I'm sure we'll see many more going forward. And anything jump out on the social bonds side for the month, Cheryl? Yes, just three social bonds to flag, uh, two banks and one agency. So not going to dwell too much on that. But, you know, increasingly we see uh, more banks issuing a $1 billion benchmark issuance. It's just focused on social. And JP Morgan uh, is the most recent bank to join the club following Citigroup and Morgan Stanley. ADB as well, I think was quite interesting. ADB uh, raised $8.4 billion Kazakhstan Tenj, which is about $20 million US for the first generation 
gender bond issued in Kazakhstan. So I think it's quite interesting because, you know, it's from Kazakhstan. It's a bond focusing on women and it's for affordable residential mortgage loans. There was a French agency, Satis, that just came to market again with a 4 billion euro social bond following their September issuance in 2020. Uh, any interesting sustainability linked loans that hit the market, Nick? Yeah, absolutely. So the, the first one, again, just to highlight this, there's lots of deals which have happened, but just to highlight um, a couple in particular. Um, we've seen and we've noted a real trend for um, investment companies, whether that's private equity, whether that's investment managers or companies investing, I guess, in their own right, more and more come to market and, and want to do different types of, of loans. And we saw Carlisle actually come to market with a with a sustainability-linked loan, and that was twofold. The, the first element of that was to their own gender diversity on their board, and then the second aspect of that was to achieve some targets uh, in their portfolio companies, I think, connected to, to decarbonisation and other sustainability issues. So I think that's going to be a real trend that we see. Again, twofold, the investment company in their own right, but probably more importantly too, across their own investees or their portfolio of companies, how they aggregate that, whether it's water, whether it's green, gases, whether it's supply chain and the different themes. So really good to see that innovation continuing from deals like Quadria uh, that we saw last year. There was another interesting one. We seem to be talking about aluminium a little bit more than usual um, in this podcast, but we're seeing a lot more activity conversations happen from that type of sector. So Rusal transacted a US 200 million sustainability link loan connected to their um, GHG intensities. I couldn't find out exactly some of the levels on that one. But again, for our listeners, looking at something like aluminium, some really key tools that you can use, the Transition Pathway Initiative, um, also science-based targets have a sector piece on that one. So, you know, when we look at sustainability link loans in terms of ambition, in terms of robustness, always great to, to look at what sort of reference points there are. They may sound a little bit more transition in nature, but we know that sustainability link loans kind of really promote and have a role to play in in supporting companies on their transition journey as well. Also, just one to note, Thai Union that we worked with went to market with a couple of different sustainability link loans um, and having some some really well thought through KPIs and targets about greenhouse gas reductions. But more importantly for them, I'd say around some of the fishing practices and steps they're going to take around risk management and monitoring connect to that. So again, pretty very progressive company and some really interesting KPIs that were really, really tailored and bespoke to their to their business after thinking through some of the key issues. So yeah, some pretty interesting deals done for sure. And what about transition, Cheryl? Anything, uh, was there any time for anyone to do transition over the month? Yes, just maybe one transition labeled bond issued in February from SNAM, They're a repeat issuer uh, of transition bond. So they raised 750 million. There were quite a few transition related news, uh, but we probably won't cover that during this episode. And maybe we could talk about it in a separate episode. Uh, what about any interesting labeled uh, instruments, Nick? Yeah, so on the uh, on the labelled instrument side, really just one thing to mention, but I think it's indicative of a real growth area and a major opportunity in the market for lots of banks and corporates as well, was I, I quite liked what um, HSBC announced with a company called Lumprel in the Middle East, which was really around trade and working capital. I haven't got all of the details connected to that, but I believe Lumprel uh, is doing some work around uh, wind turbines and, and, and offshore wind and doing different things. So Great to see, you know, some of the banks becoming more creative and innovative about how some of these concepts around sustainability linking, green use of proceeds can be connected to different trade structures. We know that trade is more short term, more document heavy, but there's no reason why after thinking through some of those concepts can't be applied. So I think that's a a front runner for um, things that we're going to see going forward. 
Just to wrap up, um, Cheryl, in relation to regulatory, I guess just a couple of things. We always say this ongoing work in the EU, there's still a bit of last minute jostling around to the extent on the taxonomy that, that gas and you know, biofuels and, and different things connected to that will or won't be finalised or included in the in the taxonomy. So all we can say is watch this space. There's always news going on. We also mentioned about the SFRD. So we'd encourage the bankers just to check that out and the amount of disclosure requirements, the push that that's going to give to the investor side, particularly in Europe, and what that and how that will flow to companies having to disclose more. Um, and then hopefully there's more reporting disclosures that the banks can come up with ideas to connect sustainable finance transactions to. So all in all, a another huge month. And I think a slightly different segment for the podcast this month, uh, Cheryl, you've got a fun fact to share. Is that right? That's right. Well done for reaching the end of this month's podcast, listeners. We would like to end off the episode by sharing with you a fun fact about climate change. So coastal blue carbon ecosystems are critical. Just 0.7% of the world's forests are coastal mangroves, and yet these coastal mangroves store up to 10 times as much carbon per hectare as tropical forests. If you didn't know, now you know. All right, folks, that's about all the time we have for this episode. Thanks again for tuning in. Links to the articles and reports mentioned in this episode can be found on our website. Do also follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter at Sustainalytics and send any questions or feedback our way at podcast at sustainalytics.com. Special thanks to Melissa Chase who produced this episode. Thanks again for tuning in. Till next time.